there's really two main differences between a co-op and a condo that usually get people to decide which route they want to take. Welcome to the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast, where experienced expert New York City real estate brokers, John Gastaska and Jonathan Conlin break down what's happening in the market, what you need to know, whether you're a buyer, seller, or agent, and their insight into the future with a little bit of fun along the way. In this episode, John and Jonathan discuss the highs and lows of their experiences this week in New York City's real estate market, as well as the differences in purchasing a cooperative and a condominium. Buying real estate here is like nowhere else in the world, and John and Jonathan will break down all the nuances, as well as dispel some commonly held misconceptions. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to John and Jonathan's Sell NYC podcast. Mr. Conlin, you are on. How are I you? Am. I changed my V-neck to a black shirt this week because, as you can oh, see, still at home. Still and at home. you still got your hair cut. And I did yeah, get my hair cut. Very handsome. I think this is the first one with the haircut. Thank goodness. How was your week? Why don't you start with your week this week? Well, um, I was in the city quite a bit, which was is actually, you know, it's funny. We talked about it the other day. It's... Um, it's exhausting to go into the city, to put the mask on, to be always, you know, for me anyways, I feel sort of hyper vigilant on who's around me. Are they wearing a mask or, you know, uh, did, am I touching anything? All the precaution things that we're taking now, um, or because of COVID, I get home and I take off my mask because it, it, I mean, for some days I was wearing my mask like four hours uh, straight, which is, sure. uh, it is not, it's not fun. I don't like it. It's not fun. And it's not that comfortable either. Not comfortable. You know? I mean, thankfully I got my new mask, which is comfortable, but even as comfortable as it is, you don't realize how constricting the breathing is and stuff until you take, take it off and you take a breath and you're like, Oh, Oh, life is so much easier like this. So <laughs> yeah. it is, um, I, I gotta say, I sometimes now uh, miss just working from home. <laughs> uh, so it is, it's it sort of switched back. You know, when we were, when we were locked at home for what, a hundred plus days, I was feeling like, gosh, I just want to change the scenery. I just want to get out and like do things and not, you know, uh, and, and try to do some some income producing work. You know, we've talked about, we've been focusing on strategy and uh, shoring up the building blocks of our business, et cetera. And now that I'm out there able to do showings and meet buyers and stuff, I'm kind of like, you know, I could take, if I have a day where I don't have to go into the city, I'm like, oh, I don't have to go into the city today. And, you know, I. It, and it, I think it really revolves around the mask. Um, it is really, it's, it really sort of changes, especially when it's been as hot as it has, you know, yeah, it's very back. warm. Mm -hmm. so if, if, if somebody watching has not been in Manhattan when it's 90, 95 degrees and humid out. Yeah, that's, that's picture, our worst time. Picture walking around in a big brick oven. 
everything <laughs> is, you get heat from the cement that you are surrounded by constantly. So it really is uh, uncomfortable. And then you go down into the subway because we're in subway junkies. And it's um, a, it's a, a steam bath. It's yeah. It's like it's being in a, it's like being in a steam room. So it was a little, it was a tiring week. Um, and now being in the recovery for, or since June 22nd, now being over a month away, it's interesting because now we're starting to get to the point where, okay, we've got numbers of weeks under our belts. We can start to see what does that mean? Like, how is the market really responding, moving, et cetera? But we'll get into that. But how was your week, John? It flew by. The week flew by. And again, I think that we are we're doing what we can do and that it's we are working through a myriad of problems on the transactions that we have. We've gotten some clarity on one of them, finally a closing date, uh, because a stock certificate came in. And then we have no resolve on another transaction. Yet next week, we're supposed to close, I believe, three transactions are closing next week. There is movement. We're also listing more. So we were we we have I believe two more listings that hit the market, and we're counseling. Uh, we're bringing the prices down where we can. Again, you said last week that you were disappointed with the numbers of requests to show the apartments, and that is still the same. Yeah, that we also through our company have learned of the exorbitant amount of rental listings on the market. So 14,000 rental listings on the market, which is, that's a lot, lot of inventory. So the prices are going to have to come down. And what we've been beginning to do is to counsel the seller, to counsel the landlords to bring those prices down and bring them down, bring them down. And the tenants have the say. We're going to also have that conversation with the sellers as well. And we've talked about it. The, the apartments that have gotten the most activity have had price reduction and not just simple, small slices, but substantial price reductions. We have also a deal on one of the properties that has outdoor space that's moving along. Yeah. And so we're doing what we can. And so, again, I agree with you. I think I was in the city four days this week and now coming in with the mask and everything and with the exception of the fact that my my hand sanitizer in the, in the subway. I didn't even tell you this. And I was fully dressed. I had two different fires that day and I'm in the subway car. And I noticed that because sometimes the condensation in the subway is really intense and it, it drips. So I'm standing by the door and I look down and it must've been dripping all over my leg onto my shoe because my shoe is totally soaked and my pant leg. So I'm like, God, and I'm looking up and I can't see anything, but I move to the opposite side of the subway car. And as I do, I notice my bag is dripping. So I had a full bottle of hand sanitizer, that smelly stuff. And here it had opened and it was dripping out my, the entire thing in my bag. So it was all hand sanitizer. Needless to say, my pants are at the dry cleaner and I've got to get my shoes shined. So that was my calamity. But yeah, it's, that's life in the new abnormal. So it's about continuing to find balance and service the sellers and the buyers that we have. 
but yeah, I think this is going to be our new normal. This is going to be for, for some time here. I think we're seeing a couple of things. One, anybody that had a way to get out of the city has gotten out of the city. And many of our young professional clients that we have, and not so young professional clients that work in the city, uh, their offices are closed through, I have some closed through the end of the year. Well, if you don't have to be in the city right now, yeah. why would you necessarily be there? You can't go to restaurants and dine inside. You can't go to any cultural things, museums, shows on Broadway. Um, you know, so it, it, New York is essentially still shut down. Um, it, what draws people to New York and what people love about New York um, in terms of the things to do. Um, so that in and of itself is a, a huge reason why, why we've seen such a, a slow, a slow startup here. And I think that's going to continue. We have a couple things around the corner that uh, events, annual events that happen. One is kids maybe going back to school. Um, when that happens, hopefully those families return to New York, return to Manhattan, decide that, you know what, if we're going to, when we come back, we, we need more space. We want to sell this, buy up, whatever, because trading up is it's the right time to do it if you, if you, uh, if you need more space um, in a down market. And especially in this particular down market, because the higher price points are uh, are softer yet. So it, it, the thought is, is yeah, you may sell a two bedroom or a three bedroom at uh, a lower price. You certainly will. Uh, but when you go to buy that three or four bedroom, relatively speaking, you're going to make up for it. You're already invested in real estate, you know, so hard asset like real estate is, this is the time to, uh, to buy it. So, so it's, it's certainly interesting. And I think through this end of this year, um, I've, we've started to tell clients, you know what, it's slower than what we expected. Part of me, I was talking to a client the other night and I said, you know, listen, I have, there's a dichotomy in my brain. On one side, I have my business. And if we're not transacting, we're not making money, right? Our business isn't making any money. So on that front, I'm disappointed in what's transpiring right now. On the other hand, I'm a human being that values life, that values um, uh, the, the, the sanctity of life and everybody, you know, trying to be responsible and push through this horrible disease, this horrible pandemic. And so part of that part of me is glad that everybody's not rushing back to the city to try to get like force it back to some sort of normal. And and those two things compete with one another. I'd, you know, at the end of the day, it would be worse for our business if everybody did the latter and, and everybody rushed in and we had a resurgence and another shutdown. So in, if you think about it in that terms, those are, they, they run together. So, it, but it's, it, it's an interesting time just from that perspective. And we just have to, like you said earlier, we have to just keep pushing forward and we will keep listing these properties. We have to keep our sellers up to date on exactly what's going on, which is, you know, one of the points of this podcast is to kind of get our up to the minute um, ideas and thoughts on the market. And I think, you know, uh, I was hoping for a little bit more activity, uh, but it is what it is. And we just have to keep going. 
one of the things that we've been effective at doing is um, effectively pivoting with the the buyer's change of heart. I've talked about three different buyers that I've had worked with, one of whom is now in contract. The middle people got bid out and now the husband was, he was uh, concerned about living in Manhattan and the wife dug her heels in and said, no, um, we're staying. And they were looking for a rental. Well, lo and behold, which you know, we put them in the rental. So Pat helped me with that, is getting them signed up regarding a rental. They're very happy. They'll be in the rental for a year. And then Lee said to me, the wife said to me, of course, John, we'll buy, you know, and we'll buy with you. So we serviced the client and we serviced the client very well. And they're very, very happy. And I'm continuing to work with the third buyer actively. Again, a building which is not allowing us to see the real estate. And they have a board meeting, but I'm counseling the buyer. And in the meantime, I'm taking the buyer. So they have a bid in on a property in a building that they cannot see. And then we're continuing to show them additional properties. And now the husband who had been, I have worked with the wife for over a year. Now the husband is fully engaged. So that tells me they're going to buy something. And they've reassured me that they want to buy. They're staying in Manhattan for the rest of their lives. And that's really, really, really good. <clears throat> What's really encouraging, and I, and I think you've, you said this as well, is that we are, I have a, a number of buyers that are out of the city right now. And because they don't need to work, they don't need to go into their office or anything like that. They can work remotely. But what I hear from them is, we're not going anywhere. We're just going somewhere in the short term while this all figures out. But we're coming back to New York and we are going to buy something. It's not really a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. Right. Um, that's actually, that's a very uh, encouraging to me that, okay, like we're, it, it reinforces that it's, there are still people that want to live here. There are, you know, because there's a, people that are out there that are like, oh, well, you know, mass exodus from the city. Of course. Yeah, some people are leaving the city. There are probably people that were already had one foot out the door or people that weren't sold on living here anyways, because it is a very tough, very expensive place to live and not everybody likes it. We talked about that sure. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. What we love about New York City, that doesn't ring true for everybody. You know, not everybody wants to live here. You know, that totally makes sense. Um, so, it, but it's reassuring to hear from our clients that, oh, we're not like, leaving New York City. We're going to come sure. back to New York City. It's just a matter yeah. of this all needs to be figured out a little bit more before that happens. You'd never be able to tell the difference between a co-op or a condo by just walking in. It's the behind the scenes aspects that make them different from taxes, privacy, subletting policies and pricing to ease of transfer and ease of use. There are certainly things to know before purchasing either property type. In this next segment, John and Jonathan give you a glimpse into the explanation they would give to a new buyer. The topic for today is the difference between co-ops and condos. And when I say co-ops, I mean cooperatives, housing cooperatives. 
traditionally Manhattan was a rental, oh, rental. world yeah. until, you know, really until almost the 1980s. Um, Even before before then, like the 60s, 70s, were the, when they started this, the co-ops, right? Some of them? Yeah, 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 but I'm saying the mass push for cooperatives in the, 80s. In the 1980s. Yeah. So most of these co-ops we go into, like, I would, I mean, it's got to, I don't know what the statistic is, but it, having worked in so many co-ops, it feels like 50, 60% of them were converted in the, in the 1980s from rental buildings uh, at large. That's mostly what they were is, was rental buildings. So, um, and now those co-ops take up about 65, 70% of our, of our market. Now that doesn't mean that 65, 70% of what's on the market are cooperatives. Uh, the traditional co-op you know, you and I will explain it to a new buyer. It's like joining a, a country club. You know, they they really have the ultimate right to accept you or deny your application. Um, of course, they're not supposed to violate any fair housing laws. You know, they can't discriminate against you based on your race, color, creed, sexual orientation, familial status. They don't have to, they also don't have to tell you why they deny your application. So it is, it makes it a little bit tricky. The additional things, so th those traditional co-ops were only, the last one was probably in the early 90s um, uh, that actually converted to a co-op or was built as a co-op. Uh, anything since then really has been a condominium. The form of ownership, like you had said, it's not deeded property. You're actually, it's like buying a share of stock in a corporation. Right. Yeah, you're, it's a stock and a lease certificate. So it's a leasehold interest. But for all intents and purposes in New York City, it is a form of ownership, a form of home ownership. And most most purchasers will be in housing cooperatives versus condominium. For instance, a young guy who's never owned a piece of real estate <clears throat> was referred to me and I just I gave him a real estate 101 lesson. And I did talk about, okay, on our six mile island, most of the units are gonna be rentals and then the different, then a cooperatives and condo slash townhouses in terms of the sales units. And then I explained the cooperative, the corporation aspect of a housing co-op. And as you were saying, the 65% of the marketplace as being co-op 65 to 70% versus condominium. When one end, I talk about the leasehold interest versus the deeded property in a condominium. When one buys in a housing cooperative, and they, they tend to be, because there are more of them, anywhere between 15 to 25, 30% lower than condominiums. So in a first time buyers, if they're looking below a million dollars, you know, for a one bedroom home, I say, well, you have to look then in a cooperative. So based on the pricing, because the condos will price higher than the co-ops. So I kind of we walk them into it. But then a corporation, like in any corporation, has a board of directors. And when one buys in the, in the co-op, you are buying, you're at the dictate of the corporation, the bylaws of the co corporation, and you must be approved by the corporation to own the, the stock and the lease. You get a stock and a lease certificate, and you own shares in the corporation. And in so doing, you, you pay what is called maintenance, which includes your common charges and your 
taxes as well as in your common charges encompasses all of the services of the building, et cetera. And you pay a monthly maintenance to own that apartment and they can be extremely restrictive. So some people don't like that. Other people do like it because you know who your neighbors are. You are not in a building with investors. You are in a building with other like-minded owners who take pride in their corporation. But, but it can be a very intrusive way of buying a home. It's not like buying a, a home in the suburbs. You must, uh, you must provide everything, all details about your life. So everything from full financial statement with verification of your assets, two years of tax returns, completed tax returns, all sorts of boilerplate information, personal, professional, bank references, etc. They want to know everything about you. As, as you said, and I agree, and then I always use the expression, it's like buying in a country club. Once you're in the club, it's all fine, but there are steps which need to be taken far more, and the package is yay thick, they run credit, then they actually interview you to come to the to come to possibly be a member of the uh, of the building, a member of the corporation. So in a condominium, it's very different than that. There is a board of managers. So there is a board in the condo, but it's run, in my opinion, I would say much more, I want to, I, I don't know if I want to say the word lenient, but the benefit to being in a condominium is that there is no formal interview for your board. There is a package these days, and these condominiums can be rather intrusive as well, depending on where one buys. But right. some of the condominium packages are are as invasive, if not more, than some of the most lenient co-ops out there. So correct. that's one of but, the big misnomers out there. That's correct. But also in a condo, even though a couple, a few co-ops will allow foreign ownership, they don't like to have foreign ownership. Many of the cooperatives do not allow what's called a pied-à-terre, a second home. They do not allow parent buying for a working child or co-purchasing or gifting or guarantors. So there's, it's very restrictive, certain co-ops. Mm -hmm. Condominium, whatever you would like to do, for the most part, you can do, provided you get your financing, you're a foreign entity, you want to buy in the name of a, of, a, of a corporation. And so you own the four walls, but you don't know who your neighbors are going to be. You know. So there's pros and cons to both. Um, condo, you can rent your apartment out right away. In a cooperative, very restrictive. Some co-ops, no rentals. Other ones, after two, one to two years of ownership, you can uh, rent out your apartment, but again, for maybe a one to two year period, and then you've got to come back to reside. There's really two main differences between a co-op and a condo that usually get people to decide which route they want to take. Um, value aside, like you mentioned, there's obviously the value 15 to 30%, maybe even more between a co-op and a condo. But really it boils down to two things, ease of transfer, ease of use. So ease of transfer, like you mentioned, uh, anybody can buy in a condo, foreigners, uh, entities, trusts, uh, LLCs, you know, you can buy it, buy an apartment for your daughter to live there, your son to live there, whatever. It doesn't really matter. If you have the money, the seller accepts your offer. The only thing a condo can do to stop you is they have what's called the right of first refusal. 
they have to basically buy the buy the apartment under the same terms and condition conditions as that purchaser. And it never happens. I've never heard of it happen. Um, but what it is there for is to make sure that I'm not selling my apartment to my brother for half the price. Because then the, the condo could decide, you know what, let's just buy it ourselves and we'll flip it and it will make sense. You know, but so it is there as a backstop, but uh, but never seen it utilized before. So that's ease of transfer, co-op versus condo. Co-op's going to restrict all those entities. It's going to want you more than likely 98% of the time you have to take it in your personal name um, and uh, which and you have to buy it as a primary residence is probably 50 50% of the time they they won't allow a pied-a-terre situation um, so so that's the ease of transfer ease of use is condos like you mentioned you can rent them out from day one the only restriction usually in a condo on uh, on subletting your apartment would be to uh, to the to, to make sure that it's a one year lease, a twelve month lease. That's really the only thing. Mm -hmm. On a yeah. thirty day, you you can't Airbnb Not a hotel out yeah. for less than than a twelve month lease. Um, a co op will say a very typical co op sublet uh, sublet policy would be. After you own it for a couple of years, you can rent it for say two years out of every five. So it allows you flexibility if you get relocated for your work for a little bit or something like that, or you need to go take care of a family member um, for a couple, you know, for a couple of years and you want to rent it out, or you're just not ready to sell it because you might come back, you can rent it. But then after two years, they're out and you have to either just carry the apartment or move back in or whatever, but you can't rent it out. So uh, those are that's those are really the two things that I say are, are the biggest reasons that uh, or, or ways to think about if somebody say, listen, I don't care about renting it out. I'm, I never want to be a landlord. OK, fine. Condo doesn't matter in that regard. And then obviously the big kicker is the value difference between for that ease of transfer and that ease of use, you pay for it. You pay that extra 15 to let's just say 15 to 30% more on a price per square foot basis. Living in them, you would never know the difference. You know, you, you can't walk into a building and go, oh, obviously this is a co-op or a condo. Like, you know, that it, it, they function basically the same in terms of there's a board, like you said, there's. Um, they, which governs what happens in the building when they renovate the lobby and so on and so forth. Doing a renovation, you know, I hear all the time people are like, oh, well, doing a renovation in a co-op, uh, essentially they're the same. Yes, a co-op, they have a few things that may be uh, a little bit more stringent, but that actually leads more to the age of co-op buildings versus the age of condominium buildings, generally speaking. Co-ops are much older buildings. Um, so the much older buildings, for instance, don't want, don't have the many times the plumbing infrastructure to support washers and dryers. So that leads people to believe like it's harder to do things in a co-op. And it's really not, it's not really lending to because it's a co-op, it's generally because it's an older building. Um, so, but you still have to use licensed and insured people. You have to submit plans if you're doing 
big changes, et cetera, et cetera. So the actual function, once you own it in a co-op or a condo, functionally, they're very, very similar. So those are the differences. And then of course it gets down to when you, when you start to look, put pen to paper and you look at black and white, the big deciding factor sometimes is financially, whether somebody's going to qualify financially to buy in a co-op. Um, you know, you're, as you said, and, and I mentioned earlier, it's buying into a private club. Technically, your, your title is a tenant shareholder. Uh, you're not an owner, you're a tenant shareholder, you're buying shares of that corporation. And what comes with those shares, which is divvied up basically when the building converts to a co-op, it runs straight in line with what you would expect uh, the values to increase. So it, it runs in line with how big the apartment is, what the exposure is, um, how high in the building it is, et cetera. So basically the more valuable the apartment, the higher number of shares you have. Um, very rarely is there a shifting of those number of shares, although we have seen. But um, <clears throat> so as a tenant shareholder, you get, let's say you get 100 shares. What comes along with those shares is a proprietary lease for that specific section of the building that, that those shares are allotted to. So everything's divvied up on a per share basis in a co-op, which is why maintenance, as you mentioned, uh, in a co-op, it's referred to, your monthly cost is referred to as a maintenance charge. That includes the running of the building, your share to pay the doorman, the, the door staff, the resident manager, um, the, the accountant, the attorney, the building engineer, uh, general upkeep of everything, all the local law taxes, taxes, real estate taxes, all lumps in all the co-op, a co-op building gets one real estate tax bill and it's a simple calculation. There's a thousand shares, you get you divide by a thousand, you multiply how many shares you get. So, um, so it's it's pretty cut and dry uh, when it comes to that structure side of it. Um, and in a in a condo, everybody gets it's divvied up between common charges, which pay for all the workings of the building, the management company, et cetera, et cetera, um, all the staff, and then you each individual owner because it's considered real property also gets their own real estate tax bill. Everybody has, each unit has its own block and lot and you, each owner gets its own real estate tax bill. So the only additional thing that I wanted to add to it, which, it, which sometimes gets lost in the mix, is that your closing costs also on a co-op are much cheaper than a condominium. So because it's not deemed real property by the city, by the state, what you don't have is your title insurance and, uh, and your mortgage recording tax on a co-op, which can be a significant, a significant amount. I mean, the mortgage recording tax is almost 2% of your financed amount. And the title insurance is a long calculation, but it's, you know, starts somewhere around a half a percent of the purchase price. So, um, so it, it, you not only save on, the ultimate purchase price, you're going to be 50, that 15 to 30% lower, but you're also going to save significantly on your closing costs. Um, so what has become more popular, uh, certainly since I've been, you and I have been in real estate, um, is 
the notorious flip tax. So, uh, so the flip tax is a building or a co-op co imposed fee, uh, transfer fee. So it goes to, it's a line item on their income, uh, on their balance sheet at the end of the year on their, in their P&L, where how much money did you make due to maintenance? How much money did you make on this thing that's been deemed a flip tax? It's a little hard, like flip tax really isn't the right term, but it's really more of a transfer tax. And it's really just another way for the building to get income in the way. And so they'll say- and I corporate seen, tax. It, a yeah, corporate tax. A corporate tax. Well, we've seen it as a function of profit, where it's a formulaic thing, uh, where they say, okay, we're going to say it's 5% of your net profit. And there's all things that you can discount from that calculation to as high as three or 4% of the purchase price, which can be exorbitant when you're talking about a $5 million, $10 million apartment. But the way I explain it to people is if we didn't, if the co-op didn't have a flip tax, um, you, the maintenance would be higher. You know, I mean, it's the same thing as when a managing agent says, we're gonna now impose a recognition agreement fee where you're like, what does that mean? It's basically to process a piece of paper, look at it and go, yeah, that's right. But they just figured out something else to charge for. And if it wasn't for that, it'd be for something else. So it's just another line item on their income. I mean, listen, it's obviously very complicated. It's, it's, it, that was a brief overview of, of kind of the, the main differences between them. So much more goes into it. And it's, it, I mean, usually, I don't know, you're probably very similar, but when you meet with a client for the first time and you start to give them the overview of co-ops versus condos is usually a big part of that conversation, usually takes about an hour to get through all of it. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah and then by that. the end of it, they're like, they, they only oh, about 10% of it. And it's- they, 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 they like the lesson, you know, yeah. they, like, they like hearing about it. Well, and, it's certainly- uh, it, it goes back to what we've said many times. It keep, it's certainly interesting. <laughs> I don't know in, in the best way. So listen, it, the best thing is that if somebody has more questions, obviously reach out to us. We can talk about more specifics. Want to know there's hybrids, these things called condops, which are land lease buildings. There's, um, there's all sorts of real estate tax things. Uh, co-op condo abate tax abatement etc i have an idea why don't we talk about the taxes next podcast we could it's an idea if anybody has any questions we are here that's what we do to answer questions about real estate about co-ops condos tax taxes etc and so i thought you did a very good job it's really really refreshing to know that my business partner knows what a difference between a co-op and a condo is because if you didn't we'd have serious yeah. serious problems um i'm not sure john you go first so that i can just reiterate <laughs> what you said. trust me i dealt with a veteran real estate agent one time maybe five years ago and <clears throat> i walk i was talking to her about my client's financial statement and this was a really good substantial broker and she said to me you know john i really don't deal with the financial statements that's what my assistant does i was like what i had a wonderful time talking to you as usual we don't get to talk that much anymore <laughs> just kidding oh it was good talking to you john you are always uh, a, a fountain of information and i uh, 
Uh, it was Just come to me. <laughs> I got these. I got these answers at, at my fingertips. Hey, I got spades of answers. Uh, so nice to see everybody. Hopefully, we uh, we talk soon. Everybody, be safe, be healthy. Check us out. And we'll most be- of all, re- remain in gratitude. Right, remain in gratitude. Uh, we will see you next week. Have a great weekend. Thanks for watching or listening to the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast, where experienced expert New York City real estate brokers, John Gastaska and Jonathan Conlin, break down what's happening in the market, what you need to know, whether you're a buyer, seller, or agent, and their insight into the future with a little bit of fun along the way. If you'd like to take a look at our listings, have a property you're thinking of selling, or are wondering if we could help you finally find the perfect place to call home, feel free to reach out. You can email us at info at johnandjonathansellnyc.com or reach out via our Facebook page or Instagram at johnandjonathansellnyc. If you enjoyed today's podcast, consider telling a friend or family member about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are some of the best ways of supporting our efforts and we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning in. We can't wait to share what's coming up next. Subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss our next episode, and we'll see you next time.